Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Barreling right through in a 2018 episode 178. I see you on the other side. Ladies, I don't believe it. Yeah. What a weekend, too. It was a good weekend. We were all in Chicago. We were all in Chicago. (laughs) Not together, but we were there. (laughs) So, hey, if anybody's listening for the first time and we met at the Uncommon Ground on Friday night, or you heard us on WGN on Pretty Late with Patty Vasquez on Friday night, welcome to the weird world to see you on the other side. Thank you for joining us. Indeed. Welcome. It was great being in Chicago again. And we were like right in the heart of Chicago. So there was all kinds of Mothman talk. <laughs> there yeah. was there was music playing. There was, oh gosh, we had some amazing food at Uncommon Ground. Definitely recommend that place. And the, the, the great beer too, like, like local beer. And that was a lot of fun. But what I really was, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that there was a Mothman witness or a guy that had a Mothman story on the show with us. That was cool. Yeah, I'm hoping that he'll share his story. Yes, he be- he better. And Allison, what were you doing in Chicago, if I may ask? Well, more Mothman. Yes. More Mothman stuff. As you do. Uh, I uh, was, yeah, as I do. I was interviewing uh, Jack Vex, who got the first Mothman witness on camera Ooh. just recently. And uh, so I wanted to talk to him a little bit more because he he's had an opportunity uh, to talk with that witness and also uh, three others as well. So we wanted to set the record straight about, you know, the skepticism that we have about some of the reports, whereas there are some that seem to be credible. So cool. we, we wanted to make that distinction. So uh, we went over uh, and... Um, I uh, interviewed him with my friend, uh, Madeline, from Measuring the Circle. And so we did a a YouTube video with him and learned lots of details about uh, some different witnesses that he got to talk to and also talked about, you know, similar to the last podcast that we did, you know, I asked him the questions about, you know, what are his New Year's resolutions for a paranormal research? Fantastic. Well, it sounds like that was a very interesting and productive trip to Chicago that you had. Absolutely. Can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah. And uh, we'll have that. Actually, we're going to add that video to the show notes for the last episode where we have the Mothman update, the Mothman delusion. Uh, That's othersidepodcast.com slash 177. And you can find Allison's uh, updated interview with Jack. But I think we should go back to the Windy City, back to one of my favorite places uh, when I visit Chicago that I like to go to. And I think I stumbled upon it on accident maybe eight or nine years ago. And I try to get there whenever I'm visiting and whenever I'm on that side of town. But uh, Chicago's occult bookstore is pretty awesome. Am I I correct here? Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, there's just so much in there uh, in terms of knowledge and also it's an apothecary there there's just and and, you know, the the owner, we're going to be talking to him today and he's just a wealth of knowledge. 
Right. And the thing is, when you watch a, a movie or something and they show an occult bookstore, they show like a magic shop or something, you're always like, man, whenever I go to the magic shop, it sucks. Uh, whenever <laughs> I go to the occult bookstore, it's just this tiny thing and it's just, it doesn't have enough weird enough, it doesn't have enough classic old books. Um, like the weirdest thing it has is that fake Necronomicon from the 1970s. No, Chicago's occult bookstore has the old books. Uh, it really is something special. And so that's why we're happy to bring on today. Uh, Louisville Delan is the owner of Chicago's Occult Bookstore, the oldest shop of this kind in the world. He is also a Hugan voodoo priest. Lovell joins us today to tell us the story of his century-old magical apothecary and the repository of secret and sacred knowledge. Hopefully, he'll also set us straight about the true purpose of voodoo and other feared occult practices. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hello. Hey, it's great to talk to you again. I was just there last week. <laughs> right. Allison is a regular now. <laughs> she is a regular. <laughs> I, I recognized her when she came in. She has now become a regular. All right. Yeah, yeah I got a big hug and everything. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. So let's get a little bit of history in the store, but first let's get a little bit of history on you because I always find it fascinating to be because when you're going to be in this business, I feel that, it, I mean, it is a commitment and it's not just, you know, sometimes people stumble into it, but I mean, it's kind of, um, I don't know. It, it's like getting into porn. Like once you're in the, <laughs> the world of the paranormal, you know, you're in the world of the paranormal. And so how did you become a weirdo in the first place? Uh, I was, I was born a weirdo, but, <laughs> um, nice. my, my, my first entry to the store was when I was 16, um, but 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 my first experience with occultism started when I was like one year old. Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah. I can have a hard enough time remembering things when I was thirty-one. What happened when you were one? Well, I I I have memories since I was less than a year old. Wow. So and and, oh, wow. and I th there is there is this story going around my family that I'm a walk-in, and we didn't we didn't figure this out too much later in my life. Um. I don't know if you know what a walk-in is, but... Well, could you explain it? Yeah, explain that because some people in the audience may not have heard that term before. Explain it? Yes, I can explain Thank it. you. Um, a walk-in is basically is basically a, a being who... It, it basically means you you <laughs> your spirit did not... Or descended or a, a spirit took over your body at a... At a, a again, twice, I guess is a way to put it. Um... But I have memories from that very early time, and people in my family just thought I was weird. I was also born with a call, um, so a lot of people just said, he's the weird kid, he's the weird kid, and nobody really took me for face value, or took that I had these memories for face value. Excuse me, what do you mean born with a call? I guess I don't know what that means. The placenta was still intact. It didn't burst and and I I was in it. I oh came wow! In. Okay, so you were you were still in your original apartment. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> cozy in there. Which is which is which yeah. is very magical. It's supposed to be very a very magical thing, like like a seventh son of a seventh son or a seventh daughter. Oh, wow! But so so I was telling people all throughout my my growing up that I remembered these these periods, and nobody nobody took it for truth until I was like. 18 or something or 16 or 18 or, or, or later. And I said, 
I remember this, and I, did, I started describing the room to my to my parents and, and my grandmother and, and stuff, and describing, and she was like, you didn't see that room, you weren't there until, you weren't there past like two years old. I'm like, yeah, but I told you I remembered stuff since I was like a year. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that and a number of other things happened, like uh, my eye color and my skin color completely changed. Um, my mother went away for a while and came back and thought they had swapped me with another child um, for several months. She was concerned, but yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in my history. All right. Well, that's all. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Starting out, like most of us had to like seek it out, you know, like there's, we had our own calls to the weird uh, and eventually get there. Uh, but that's, I'm always interested in people that, um, you know, seem to be born into it. Like, you know, it's just, it's unusual stuff seems to, seems to follow them around. Now, does your family have like a belief in this or like a history? Uh, Cause if you think about Allison and my parents, you know, when we're like, Oh, ghost stories are cool. They're like, yeah, around Halloween, but come on, you're going to have to get a real job. One of these days Was your family like into no, it. No, no. My, my, my <laughs> mom was uh, a Baptist. So as wonderful as, uh, Southern Baptist uh, uh, congregation is, you know what I mean? They they feel the spirit of God and it comes through them. That that was her magic. Um, although my mom did dabble in the occult, God rest her soul, and um, I didn't find this out until after she had crossed to the other side. Um, but yeah, she was she was very and I, and I and I remember because I, because I have memories from very young. I remember seeing a seeing like tarot cards and stuff like that. But she never talked about it. Like like so like when I was able to communicate with her, it never came up at that point. Um, <laughs> so my mom was yes involved. My grandmother was a Christian scientist. She was not. Um, very into spirituality. She just thought I was weird. Um, my grandfather died when I was 10. He was the most spiritual, but it was more philosophic rather than it was um, magical. Um, so no, there wasn't a lot of people. And my, my father, I didn't have really have a relationship with early on. Um, but I'm sure since my father is where I get my Vodou line from, that he was both um, that he was involved at least as a as a young kid in some kind of uh, spiritual practices, but since I never had contact with him, I never was aware of that or open to that. So when's the first wow. when's the first time you went to the store? Because now let's get a little history. But then this is the we said it's the oldest occult bookstore in the United States. How old? Like here's the setup for the joke, right? How old is it? A hundred years. A hundred years uh, next year, so a hundred years October of next year. So how did it get started? Uh, D.G. Nelson was a very famous uh, astrologer in the nineteen twenties and then early, like late nineteen tens um, or nineteen teens, I guess is what you say that. And he used to go down in the downtown of Chicago and look at people and kind of do. Uh, astrology, like face reading, astrology readings, and be like, this is what's going to happen to you. And he got very famous doing that. He would tell people when they were going to die or that they had spouses or what their spouses were like and, and all this stuff from just from astrology. 
and being a good reader. Um, so that's how it started. Um, and it has had three owners since, or I'm the third owner. And what kind of um, services, well, how's the, how have the, the services and, and uh, goods and services that you provide, you know, how has that changed uh, throughout the, the century? I, you know, um, I, I'm interested in, you know, so it started, it was started by an astrologer and, and what kind of things do you think he would offer and then then who owned it next and you know i think everybody probably brought their own spirit to the store so i'm interested in exploring that like uh you know who owned it and and what they brought to the occult bookstore i I wish that were true and i only say that because (laughs) every every time okay so my experience with the store has only been since i was 16 so I only have experience with Russell on, obviously. And Russell's the previous owner. Russell Russell Thorne was the previous owner. Um, he had it for uh, over 40 years, I, I would guess. Um, and I know that that from him to me, we, we've tried to keep it pretty much the same. So I'm going to, and, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to read all of the stories that he has given me, that, that Russell has given me and, and, and infer that pretty much the bookstore was always, I mean, astrology books were always there. So we were always an occult bookstore who carried other stuff like magical stuff and curios and astrology, astrological little things and trinkets and stuff like that. Even since the beginning, um, now we have kind of flowed because books don't don't like people don't read as many books as they used to. That was the only way you got news. So we have kind of steered in more public service into the mix. So I'm sure there wasn't as much public service in there uh, back when D.G. Nelson ran it. Because he was an astrologer. What do you mean by public service, though? Like, is uh, like performing like cleansings, or what does that mean by public yes. service? Because <laughs> you were like that, or that, or that, all of it. Um, so we do <laughs> we do lectures out of the, we do lectures, we do um, book signings, we have uh, different practitioners, um, we offer herbs, and we create like um, altars and altar equipment and jewelry. I mean, we really do a lot of the public service since we're so old. We, 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 we can get you whatever you need as long as you let us know um, and, and we have time to go out to the practitioners that have come through the store for, 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 for 100 years at this point. Um, I hope that makes Yeah, and it leads to a question. So you can get people what they need. What, what, what are some highlights? I mean, what are some of the strangest things or, you know, the most powerful things uh, or the funniest things that, that you've acquired for people over the years? Um, well, like, like some people need, like, we, we used to be able to acquire, and this is getting harder and harder to acquire, like, uh, do you know what Kapala cups are? No, please okay, explain. Um, so, 
So in various traditions, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, um, Shivaism, and Indian um, magics, and even in native stuff, a lot of times the the bones of animals or even the bones of priests who have given their their body back to their religion um, will will offer them up for use in sacred ceremonies. Oh, like a relic in yes, the Catholic Church? Exactly. Um, so we can still get um uh Kapala cups, which are which are basically the head. It's the it's the the top of the head that's been cut off. Um and they they fashion it into a little cu- offering cup, offering plate. So it's a skull cup. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so you can still get those. Uh, yes I can. They're they're getting much harder to get. Um and I only say that because uh, I'm not so sure. Sh- they're, they're very expensive now because you can only, it, it, it has to come through the chain, but it also has to be cleared for all the stuff that it has to clear for. So yes, yes is the short answer. What I was thinking about here was that when you hire somebody to work at a place like the Occult Books, they're like, number one, you you have a reputation and uh, being around a long time. And number two, you want somebody who's able to relate to your customers and the people coming in. And I was thinking about when I go to Guitar Center, and half the time I go to Guitar Center, I talk to somebody who doesn't know anything about guitars. Do you have any specific uh, like hiring criteria, or how do you make sure that the people who come and work for you in the occult bookstore are going to be, number one, sensitive to the people who are coming in, and number two, going to be able to communicate on that level where you can trust them giving people advice or books or uh, selling them like relics. Totally. Uh, we, we do have, okay. So in the past, we, there has always been a, a very selective process for how someone is hired. When I was hired, they, they had to, first off, I, I, I basically, uh, flooded the store with my presence. I was there every day for like at least a week. And then I, I think Russell joked with me, like he was joking and he made the comment of you should work here. And I was, I was immediately like, yes. <laughs> uh, and then I went and talked to Jennifer, who was his wife at the time and got her to, to, to take me a little more seriously. And then she took my chart and all this other stuff. So there, there is a process by which you have to come in. It's only gotten worse. And I mean that in terms of, or it's only gotten more difficult because right now we really, I I mean, you you do have to kind of be a practitioner of something in order to come into the store um, currently and you have to go through um, a vetting process of some sort. And and usually that means either I or my, my, my other partner, Lisa, will will vet you um and, and and do that process which which also involves like a chart reading uh looking at your where you've worked before looking at what groups you've been involved with before magically what you have going on um and that's just for both uh the community as a whole because we we help a lot of people and for your own 
sanity and stability and well-being. Wow. So the interview process isn't just, you know, concerned with, you know, the jobs that you worked before, but, you know, your whole like uh, spiritual uh, background and the future uh, th- as determined um, by uh, an astrology chart, I assume? Astrology chart is, is a start. Um, we will, that this is why I say vetted because we will read you via whatever means the particular practitioner has at their disposal. So a chart is just a, a, a good starting place for getting a universal view more of where you are and, and how you work with the store. It's interesting, you know, uh, talking about Russell Thorne, you know, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background on him because, you know, in the story you have a, a photo of, of him and, and, uh, you know, it was just interesting to think about, to, to imagine little Lavelle uh, <laughs> hanging out there every day after school and then, you know, Russell coming to you and giving you a broom, <laughs> you know, like, hey, kid, this is the library. Make yourself useful. Uh, you know, I, I just want to learn a little bit more about your relationship with Russell and who was Russell Thorne. And, and is he still with us or is he deceased now? Um, last I heard he was still alive there, there, the rumors of his demise have been greatly exaggerated. A lot of people <laughs> come into me and tell me they're like, I thought Russell Thorne passed. And like just this week, um, there was an, a guy who is, um, friends or, or, or is uh, friends with the old Orem Solis, which was on the North side, another bookstore that has closed down, um, uh, since since the, since the beginning or whatever changed since the beginning, um, and he was saying he 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 swears that Russell was dead, and I'm like, no, Russell's not dead, <laughs> so he's not passed. He's still here. Um, he was first off, and, and I'm 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 not shortchanging him. He was an excellent musician, so he was a musical guy who was into jazz and all kinds of uh, weird music like like Sun Ra and, and, and stuff like that. But he was also, on the, on the magical side, he was a Buddhist, he was a Gnostic, and he was a Kabbalist. Hmm. And I can explain what those are if you want. Please do. Okay, good. So as a, as a, 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 I don't know which particular brand of Buddhism he was, but he was he, he he opened my eyes to the the depth of Buddhism, but also how it relates to a lot of the Western traditions and like and, and that goes into the Gnosticism and the Kabbalah that he studied. Um, Gnosticism is is basically uh, I, I like to classify it as pre-Kabbalah because they were the 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 people pre. Um, Christianity and even pre-Judaism who um, how do I put this who directly tried to apprehend God so it so when when we say gnosis which which is the root which is uh, um, I would say the root of like knowledge and to know which is gnosis but it's spelled differently um it, it, it was a different kind of no. It wasn't intellectual. It was 
heartfelt, holistic um, holding of God or, or, or a grabbing. A, a, the, be, the closest word I can get is like the word grok, which is to, when you grok something, it's different from knowing something. Um, it is it is really grasping it. Um, so so that's what a Gnostic is. Um, and a Kabbalist with their uh, tree of life and their whole work on worked a lot with those um, veils and um, levels of the universe and that whole thing. So for the Gnostics, they were the, the veils were called the Pleroma. It was the fullness. Pleroma means fullness of, of the universe and uh, matter descends out of this fullness. From, from nothing to something, there are lots of uh, substrata between and Gnosticism deals with that whole, again, connection with God. How, you, how do you reach across that veil or how do you descend from that veil? How are you into that veil? And Kabbalism does the same thing. Although it's Judeo, uh, Jewish, um, so their their tree of life talk it is is about those veils and how you reach God. So this is why Kabbalah, Kabbalah comes out of Gnosticism, and so oh. does uh, a few other things. But we won't get into that. That's too far. Too far. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, can you talk a little bit about Russell and how did he hand over the store to you? Um, well. I I was I really worked there a bunch. Um, in, initially, I worked there because when I was sixteen, I didn't have another job. I mean, I I was I was going to school and going there, um, and then I continued to work there. Um, I went to college. I continued to work there. Um, somewhere after my first or second year in college, I got a job uh, doing computer work. Um, and I still kept working there. I, I still, I mean, I my my hours and shifts went up and down. So like, I would be there only two days a week or four days a week or whatever. But I still continued to work there even while I was working and going to school, because I I loved the store. I loved the books. I loved everything about it. So I say this in in, in so that I can describe that. Um, I basically followed him around or, or worked at the store. Um, gaining knowledge <laughs> from him, uh, him guiding me into, because when I started, I was just looking at stuff like, uh, let me look at this crazy spooky, uh, I want to get the cool magic. I want to cast lightning bolts. I want to, I want to do something fantastic. <laughs> um, and he, he, he was instrumental in telling me it, that in, 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 in his own way that that is Hollywood and that really the, the, the great work or, or the work you're looking for is something deeper. Um, and he, he did that as much through example as through his words. Um, and we were both musicians, so that also kind of resonated with me, etc. So um, that's, that's the kind of person Russell was. So anyways, I ended up helping him move the store around or moved the store to Milwaukee when he moved because Milwaukee Avenue. Huh? Yeah. Milwaukee Avenue over to the Flatiron building. Correct. Correct. And the, uh, place it was on Clark and Belmont, which was next to the alley 
just got the rent just went up crazy and he just could not afford to stay there, which is why pretty much the bookstore has moved whenever it has moved. Um, when it was back on 611 State, it moved from there because if you know anything about State Street, it's that's right next to downtown. It's just too expensive to, to, to for a bookstore like it was to stay in that area. So um, I helped him move over there. And then I basically got a job in California um, because a lot of my friends had migrated to the West Coast and L.A. and, and uh, Northern California, etc. So I got this offer. I ended up moving to L.A. And that was the first time I had not worked for the store. Wow. And how old were oh, you was, at that oh, point? Gosh, I was, uh, let's see, uh, 10, uh, like almost 30. <laughs> almost 30. Yeah. So, so you're, we're talking, you know, almost 15 years of, you know, a relationship with the, the store that, you know, endured, you know, and other things fell by the, the wayside. Exactly. Um, so I had moved to California for, for a few years and, um, I have friends like, like, um, Obi, who's a guy that used to work at the store, um, who was still helping Russell out because Obi helped me move, helped all of us move the store. So he was there with us and then I moved out and he stayed with the store. So I still had contact with the store. Like I would still talk to B.O.B. all the time. I would still talk to Russell, um, but less so because uh, Obi was my friend from from uh, much older too. Like we both ran each other in the store. So I had this contact and he got a message to me that, that Russell was thinking about selling the store or getting rid of the store or getting out of the business. Basically, he wasn't selling it. He wasn't going to sell it to anybody, but he was going to get out of the business. And he said, you should call Russell. So I called Russell and Russell was like, Louvelle. I and he was, he was very excited to hear from me. Um, and he remembered that connection. I mean, he basically was like, we've, we've always had a strong connection. He's like, you've really been, uh, he didn't say instrumental. These are my words, but he, but basically the message was you've been instrumental in the store. Um, and I need to retire. So I ended up flying back to Chicago. We ended up going out to dinner and talking at the store, um, about what that would entail because basically I was like, you can't close the store. I, I could not see that happening um, just on a logistic point of view. I'm like, that's Chicago's, that, that's a Chicago landmark. That, that is Chicago's thing. So I didn't want to see the store close. And an international landmark, wouldn't you say? Because it's the oldest exactly. store of its kind. Um, so I was like, I, I, we, we basically talked a lot about it and he was like, well, I would want you to take the store. So we worked it out and that's how I came back. That, that's how, that's how, that's how I got to running the store over Russell. Um, we had a, a phase in phase out period. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a wild ride ever since. I'll say that. <laughs> what I think is fantastic about that story. And I, I think it's a, it's a classic story of like, well, how do people get involved? How do you end up in the, you know, in, in like running a store or is, is like, well, you were, you were just there. 
you hung around. You hung around and and made friends and became part of the community. And <laughs> you and, just wouldn't go away. <laughs> well, and and that's what you got to do because it, it's not easy. You know, it's not like walking. I mean, it's not like walking into any other type of business because it's something that's so much more I don't know, intuitive or now did you have to do like a tarot card reading or did you uh like I probably would have found a chicken ripped open its guts and looked on the inside and been like whoa what do you think about this um, you wouldn't have done that I wouldn't have done oh. that with a chicken I would have done that with a toddler um <laughs> <laughs> so did you do anything like when you were when you were soul searching did you like you know what maybe i'm gonna do a little you know tarot or something like that and see what the universe thinks about this plan yes and no i mean there's a part of me that that um okay so so i divine for a lot of people both both my clients and uh students and members of my house and members of my order etc so i do i do i am i am fairly competent in divining. However, I, I don't always divine for self um, because it's hard to remove um, lust for result from when you read for yourself. And um, mm-hmm. I'm a strong opponent of, of the thelemic way of life and movement. So I, I, I follow life by my will and I feel like uh, whether you call it divine providence, whether you call it fate, whether you call it will, they're all the same to me. And um, life and my magic, I'll put it that way, my magic tends to put things in front of me for a reason. So when something is put in front of me, I, 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 I don't usually go I, I don't usually go back to um, well, let me see if this is right. Because it wouldn't be put there if it wasn't right most of the time. Now, when there is a question, I, I will go back to the Loa. I will go back to some 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 divine entity and divine on it so that I can find out. But but that happens less than most people think because I, I'm, I'm, I'm always up at that different level trying to look at the whole picture and see how the fractal weaves into my life and how I should move every day, every every year, every month, every second, whatever. Well, I wanted to explain the Thelemic Law to everybody real quick in case you, see, in case you didn't catch that one. That's the classic Alistair Crowley, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And love is the law, love under will. And the idea is you love something, you go towards it, you go, you go with it. You can also find that line in our song Stardust. Uh, which we'll link to in the show notes as well. Yes. So, Laval, you don't probably know this about Mike, but he's a musician and probably the only musician that has a love song that uh, involves Aleister Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think that's that's too weird. That's not weird. No. <laughs> Girls love Aleister Crowley. <laughs> Absolutely, you can't get enough. Um, so, uh, Laval, I want to get to talking uh, more about the the store and uh, what people can find there. Uh, I know we ha- have, um, you know, friends um, from uh, Hawaii Paracon, which uh, we will be involved in 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 July. That had some questions for you as well. But, you know, firstly, uh, let's just talk about what are some of the amazing things that people can find 
at the store, if you had to showcase something or, you know, books and, you know, herbs and, you know, I, I bought some interesting things last time I was there. Um, I did buy um, one of those uh, self-feeding uh, spirit balls. Uh, I'm not, not sure what you call them. I'm just going to let you talk uh, and explain what that thing is that I bought and uh, maybe some of the other uh, amazing items that you have there. So so what jack balls are, jack balls are mojo bags that are self-feeding. And if you know what a mojo bag is, I know you may not, so I'm going to go through what a mojo bag is. A mojo bag is a... A, it would be called a wanga in the Haitian tradition, which is a object put together that contains the energy of a loa or a spirit or, well, you wouldn't do an ancestor necessarily, but a loa or a spirit that that is a helper for you. It's, it's a it's an artificial helper. Uh, magical. And you're going to have to explain Loa as well, because, you know, I don't think our listeners are familiar with the voodoo tradition. Listeners, we're talking about me. <laughs> or Mike. I, I mean, in general, <laughs> in America, we call it a spirit. However, it is it is more specific than a spirit. Um, but in some ways, uh, that 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 termination or that that terminology is acceptable. So the jackball um, has these these energies wound into its structure through herbs, through wax, through prayer, through oils, through crystals, through whatever ingredients you make for a particular thing. And then, uh, and that's how you make a, a mojo, but you have to feed mojos every week and you have to feed them with energy and and uh, smoke and do a do a little uh, savvy or service to it. Um, and our clients, because a lot of our clients did not, they would always come back to us and be like, that mojo worked wonderful for two weeks and then it totally stopped working. Um, and then we'd say, well, did you feed it? And they go, feed it? What do you mean feed it? <laughs> so, so, so we started to f- try to figure a way that we could make these things um, self-feeding, and that's what jackballs are. Uh, so they are self-contained, they are self-feeding. You don't have to feed them, but they do die in six months to a year. Wait, is there an organic component to them, or like, so what's like, what do you what do you feed your if if it's not a self-feeding jackball, like, what would you feed this spiritual bag? If it was, and a, and a jackball is self-feeding, so it would be a mojo if it was not self-feeding. So if you had a mojo bag and you and you wanted to feed it, you could feed it uh, like, okay, so say I had a, uh, a mojo to Shango, I would feed it uh, some rum, um, I would put it through uh, smoke of the, of the, of the offering or plant that it likes. Um, I would set it on an altar and uh, do sevi for it, which means I would have uh, sacred foods and stuff for it and put it on that altar. So that's how you would do it. You put it on an altar or whatever and you would direct your energy um, and your service to this thing to give it energy on this side so that it could continue to work for you. And it works for you on the other side 
helping you with whatever the ailment is. Say I want money, say I want love, say I want whatever. And that, that's another example, by the way, of how we have come to uh, aid the community or work in the community and provide service to the community with our magic in the store, etc. So, so we also carry like stuff like bezoar stones. Oh, you got to explain those. I will. I will come back to it. So bezoar stones, crystals, books, candles, incense, all kinds of herbs. We make various different uh, potions and herbs and powders and filters for people. Um, so with the jackballs and the uh, wangas and the mojos and the herbs and the jewelry making and the wands and uh, even Ouija boards we've crafted for people, we, we pretty much... What we have brought to the store, along with the books and the stuff like that, is that we make a lot of stuff for the practitioner. We make stuff that they can use in their magic, as opposed to, uh, because people don't read as much nowadays in this in this age, we've made stuff that they can take with them that they use in their magic. And that's kind of what we call What I like about that is that, I mean, number one, you probably get to drink a little rum every time you feed the jackball a little rum. You're like, hey, here's some rum, buddy. And then I get some too. I don't drink really. So, so no. Okay, well, that's fine. Then you can give it to me and I'll, I'll work for you too <laughs> like, on this side. <laughs> Agreed. But what I like about that though too is, is the idea that, you know, we have such an idea about magic, I think, that we, we, we don't have often the idea that magic requires some kind of sacrifice in order to make it work. In that, I, I think a lot of people's idea is, well, you just say a few things or you do some stuff or, or magic is kind of a shortcut. Um, but I feel that magic is often uh, misrepresented as like it, it's, it's concentration. It's focusing your energies in one place. It's trying to bring the weight of, I mean, not necessarily the universe, but the weight of something besides us. Um, towards a goal that you're really interested in into. And that's not a shortcut. That's just a amassing of your concentration and trying to, you know, tr you know, trying to, to align the stars, you know, a as it were, um, like you do when, with any kind of great effort. Right. People, people like to believe there is some kind of shortcut, but there is no shortcut here. Um, even if it's something like uh, telekinesis or something like that. Uh, Biobi was psychic as a child, as a, as a young teenager. And... There you go. Sorry. Hey, hey, can you be quiet? <laughs> <laughs> Kitties, they I'm interfere. Just talk the whole thing. <laughs> uh, Kitty's like, I don't want to be on the interview. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, uh, so he was he was psychic at the and he's, he's coming <laughs> over to me. He's like, "Hello, hello." Uh, so he was psychic at a very young age, and um, he he used to move like pencils and and his father his father had seen it and stuff like that. So he he he. People, you mean with his mind? Yes, with his mind, he could move pencils with his mind. Um, but 
he always said that if 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 people understood how much focus and time and and just sheer will you had to put into moving a pencil you just move it with your hand it's just easy <laughs> so it's not a shortcut it's it's not, it's not, it's not like you're going to go do magic and and that's very hollywood that i'm going to cast a spell on you and then you're going to drop dead but in in it, 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 it's it's not that easy it, it is it is a lot of work and to get this, it, it, the 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 thing we learn as magicians the thing we learn as as practitioners or workers or whatever title you want to use is how to use that lever and it is a lever so sometimes you can you can get away with applying less force to get the job done but you've got to you've got to you've got to work it in order to do that and you've got to you've got to have a plan and it has to be set just right because if you use the lever and you're holding the short part it makes more work for you <laughs> it makes a lot more sure i have actually a question that just came in um from one of our listeners uh the actress emma booth uh she wants to know what was the scariest experience you ever had lavelle the problem with that question is i I'm, i don't frighten very easily so how about the most powerful powerful i mean my initiation was was pretty powerful in terms of and, and there's some, some stuff I can't tell you about my initiation, but but put it to you this way. Um, right. People walking around and chewing glass, drinking in their ear, walking through fire or shoving their hands and appendages in fire um, is, is definitely powerful <laughs> when it comes up. Or people speaking in languages that they don't speak. Um, or, I mean... It, these are, these are some of, some of the powerful experiences that I've that I've experienced. So you're talking about your voodoo initiation? Yes. Yes. Okay, and and people, our listenership probably doesn't really understand that, um, and and perhaps I don't understand as well. So please do school me. But uh, when you're talking about people eating glass or you know walking through fire or putting their hands in the fire, uh. Those are people who are mounted by the Loa, right, Lavelle? In general, yes. yes. Wait, hold on. Hold, hold on. What, what does it mean to get mounted by the Loa? Because I don't know if I want it or not. So that is voluntary possession. So you are seeking communion with the Loa, with the spirit. And and the spirit comes over you and, and uh, dances and expresses itself to the rest of the assembled, to the rest of... Um, the congregation, I guess you would say that that's not the right word, but, uh, let me let Lavelle school us on that, but that's my understanding. It's not always voluntary. Um, and, um, it it is possessionary. It's transpossessionary. Um, and (laughs) some of, some of the, the, the if you remember anything about the Haitian revolution, uh, people were. <laughs> One of the claims uh, of of the Vodissant was that certain Loa could protect you from bullets. Right. Certain Loa could protect you from from any number of things. So, um, since initiation happens in Haiti and and goes back to that that orig- original kind of uh, our, our our development of, of independence, our our, our war. 
our civil war, um, yeah, people people shove their hands in fire. The Loa will will chew glass. Some some Loa will vomit blood. Some Loa will drink through their ears. All of these are different signs of different Loa and how they possess you and what they're able to do. So that's a that's a definite show of at least at very least a transpossessionary state that uh, sort of protects you from. Uh, certain things. And so then then you can show that possession um, with these extraordinary feats uh, and be protected by the spirit. Exactly. Exactly. And and so you saw some things which, which seemed really fearsome, you know, like the chewing of glass, etc. Um, but were really, you know, powerful because uh, to you and and to really anybody that saw that, I mean, it's a demonstration of you know just what's happening, like a union with the spirit, and uh, you know that's why the book uh, the, the Serpent and the Rainbow. That's part of the reason uh, Wade Davis wrote that book because he was you know uh, with the people in Haiti and seeing these extraordinary feats that uh, he he just couldn't believe. You mean the part with the. Like where they're, the Mani the Loa, like where they're, they're dancing, she's got the snake and stuff like that. Like people do that? Like that's not just Wes Craven, Hollywood? No. Because that scene, you're like, damn. No, it's completely true. I mean, if you see, if you see something like, um, what's the movie with uh, Mickey Rourke? And- oh, Angel Heart. Angel Heart. Heart. If you see that movie, that movie was 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 very synonymous or very similar to my experience of of, of wandering through some nights in in Haiti, uh, in, in my experience. Now, now, of course, I mean that was Lisa Bonet there because if Lisa Bonet was there, I was going. I'm going. <laughs> <to Haiti. laughs> Don't I wish? But <laughs> but yes, it, it is it is it is a surreal experience. It is, it is right. So when you were initiated, you actually went to Haiti to become initiated. Correct. Correct. Only way, there's only one way to get initiated into Vodou, and that's to go to Haiti. You can't get initiated into Vodou in America. It's different. It's not Vodou. And I, people get mad at me all the time, but really, a Haitian initiation, hey, Vodou, Haitian Vodou can only be done in Haiti. It can't even be done. It can't be done in America. It can't be done in Europe. And you have to go to Haiti. Now, you can get initiated into American Vodou in America, uh, but that's going to be different because. The herbs, the, the spirits of the place, all of that is different here. You know what that makes me think of right there is American gods. And and I know that, I mean, I, just connecting it to a little pop culture here, but the, the idea that the gods are different in America than they are in Iceland, than they are in Europe, than they are in Haiti, than they are, you know, so the belief and how the belief changes and how the belief transforms uh, will also transform the the deity that is believed in. And so like you say, like, well, Haitian voodoo is meant to be done in Haiti. And I think about like, this is the first year I discovered what the difference was between voodoo and, and hoodoo. Yeah. You know, I was, I was just like, I always thought it was the same thing. And then you, you realize that one is hoodoo was the, the, the secret religion that people were practicing because the English wouldn't stand for it. Right. Kind of, kind of thing. And, you know, it, it, the idea that some things are, are tied to a place. And that your initiation. So, 
what made you want to go down to like that's a that's a commitment that's a that is an airfare there is you know there's hotels involved like how did you get to go to Haiti to, and you know how did you know anybody or anything like that to, to to do something that seems to me like can you just look it up on the internet or how would somebody do that well um the store has been really good to me that's the first that's how I'm going to start this um <laughs> practitioners from all over the world come through the store um so that's one number two uh I went back to kind of as I, I told you earlier that I didn't have a, any, any relationship with my father. Um, my mother had me for me, not for, for my dad or for her. Or for that, that relationship wasn't with my dad for my dad. It was for, my, for me. Um, and she always told me that. So I didn't have a relationship with my father. Um, and I think I even told Allison my, my little story about I thought I was a virgin birth for the first, for the first 10 years. <laughs> Like, this is kind of true. I really did kind of think I don't have a father. I have a mother and a grandmother and a grandfather, but I don't have a father. Um, and it never came across my head to be like, well, that's not normal. I just didn't have a father. Um, but it, it, as I got older, as I reached adulthood, I, I didn't want to contain any animosity towards any of my ancestors. And that included my father. And I didn't know anything about my father except that he was half Haitian, half Jamaican. So what I did was I started going about uh, rediscovering my hereditary bloodline of magic. And that led me to Vodou, um, which led me down this uh, semi-long path back to Haiti. Um, and into my initiation as a, a, a gone, and then brought me all the way to that reclamation of my ancestry along that line. As a Hogan, are there cer- certain loa that um, you focus on? Because I know at the store, uh, you know, I've noticed uh, the the uh, shrine to Papalegba and um, also to Urzulifreda. And um, so my question for you is, you know, are there specific loa that you have a relationship with? Because I know there, there's a lot of there's a lot of different loa. <laughs> so could you speak a little bit to that relationship? Totally. As a Ungan. And could you explain that for the, the people? That, so that, that's a voodoo priest, uh, but that's not what they they call it. They call it a Hogan. Yes, a Hogan. And, uh, and it, is, it is just that. It, it is a, an, an accepted priest. A Hogan of Sogwe is uh, a person who owns the rattle, or doesn't own it. He's given the rattle. He possesses the rattle in his initiation, and it means that he is a priest proper to control or to call upon, and I wouldn't say control, that's the wrong word, call upon uh, the aid of, of the Loa. And it's, 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 a, it's an honorary title, but not honorary, because honorary implies like, like that it was given to me. Um, but you do have to work for it. <laughs> so there's a lot of work that goes Yeah. Um, but... It's an honor to have this title given to you. Um, it means you can you can you can deal with any law, any any law you can deal with, 
um, and you understand uh, a lot about the lineage of Loire, how, how they descend from particular groups into how they how they how they move, how they flow, how to call them, what they require, what their offerings are, etc. So why in the store then uh, do you have two in particular? Uh, you know, maybe you have more and I just haven't noticed. Uh, but why did you pick those two? Yes, there are many more that you haven't noticed. And um, there are not just two in the store. Um, okay. I can, I, can, I can help you with uh, the part about... Because Legba is very apparent. And the reason why Legba is very apparent is because... Legba is the opener of the robes. He's the gatekeeper. So, of course, we're going to have Legba there. We're going to offer to Legba. And right by the door, <laughs> because people are coming in, uh, and, and he's the gatekeeper. He, he's the gatekeeper. He is at the crossroads. The crossroads of the store is the door. Now, talk about Erzuli. <laughs> what do you want to know about Erzuli? <laughs> oh, I just love Erzuli. <laughs> Wait, who's Erzuli? Let's let's hear about her. Erzuli is the my favorite <laughs> goddess of 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 the Vodou hierarchy, if if you can call it a hierarchy. Um, and she is very good for love and abundance and many things like that. She provides a lot. She she is she is beautiful in that store and and and. And in that in that store, she has a whole a whole altar up there, which is devoted to love and stuff like that. So that's that's why she saw that one. Um, plus, she has some some strong uh, connections to Urzuli. Anyway, I see that. I see that. Oh, you mean I do? Yes, Allison, you do. <laughs> you even because I brought her a cupcake. I mean, what? Her tweets and you were like, "Oh, I need to get her something." But there's there's definitely some other loa in the store, and next time you're in, maybe I'll, I'll I'll point them out to you. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. And and could you explain? You know, a lot of the uh, things that we're talking about now. You know, our listeners aren't going to have any familiarity. Uh, you know, so maybe you could help them out. I mean, voodoo is a religion, but, you know, it's been much maligned uh, for so long. And as is ceremonial magic, as is, you know, some of the other occult practices, you know, you have that statue of Bath Bathamay in there. <laughs> and, you know, I think people who are unschooled, you know, coming into the store and seeing some of those things, they might find it frightening and they might be misled and not understand what's really going on there. So so could you help us with that and talk about, you know, these things? I mean, if someone came in there and they felt, you know, that these things were evil, I mean, how would you help them to open their minds? I, I can say this. Ancestors. And, 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 OK. Each of us, no matter where we're from, have ancestors that were not so nice, correct? I'm assuming that is the case. I mean, it, 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 oh it, yes, I'd say ancestors like in my immediate family, like on this call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on! I love you, Mike. You know it. Yeah. So it, it it is it is important for us to recognize 
and the, and the Loa are 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 descendants of our ancestors, and I say descendants in a weird way, but but I, I and I have to describe that way, and it would take a lot longer than we have time for. But um, so the Loa are are forces that are from our past. They're spirits of our past. They're spirits that helped, uh, like I say, the Africans or the Haitians overcome adversity in many ways. So some of them are very hot and very violent. But that does not mean that that we are violent or we are negative. We're we're not. Let me put it this way: um, if 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 somebody attacked your child and held uh, a, a knife to their throat, would you punch them? I, I a, a lot of us would. A lot of us would would be okay with harming somebody that was gonna directly harm someone we cared about. And that is the force. So so when you take that force and you separate it and you go, okay, so hurting people is bad. Well, yeah, hurting people is bad unless you're defending someone. And that is the way that those are the loa that that we tend to work with. Those are the spirits that we tend to work with. The spirits, um, I, I, I would say, and I, I, I've said this about people many a times. I don't believe there are any evil people. Now, I, 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 people always try to give me somebody and, 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 and say, well, what about this person? Rather than get into the specifics of people, I would like to say that every person is doing what they do for a reason. Unless their intent, unless they're really, really, really messed up in the head, their intent is generally to do something that furthers something good for them. And the Loa are no different. The Loa are generally trying to do good things. Things that, that further whatever their cause is. Um, and, and that's how I would approach the spirits in the store as well. Um, in saying that... Um, and, I, and I'm not saying there are no evil spirits. I am not saying that. But I am saying that some of the spirits that you look at and you go, wow, that's gross. Wow, that's this. Wow, that's 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 powerful or violent. That there can be um, a, a, a bigger picture to look at this from. Right. So it's perspective, you're saying. Uh, yeah. That's that's really interesting. So so maybe you know when when you think something scares you, uh, ask ask deeply into yourself. Like, well, what is that all about? I mean, why why am I having that reaction? Rather than putting it on what you're reacting to, look at yourself. I mean, I tell people all the time to not. Um, when they have when they have a spirit and they're like, oh, there's a spirit here, and it's 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 it's. I, I I tell them to just say to the spirit, what do you want? What are you trying to accomplish here by you rattling my dishes and throwing it across the room? What is it that you want? And and then you can go about working it out with this spirit. But but generally, spirits are not just trying to hurt people and 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 smash stuff and, and break stuff and and cause destruction. There's a purpose behind it. Right. 
So just a couple more questions and we're going to wrap this up. But uh, I we have a, a couple of friends uh, that uh, we'll be seeing in uh, Hawaii coming up in July uh, for Hawaii Paracon. Uh, and you can find more information on that at hawaiiparacon.com. Uh, but uh, Lopaka Kapanui, he is a Hawaiian uh, storyteller and really has a lot of spiritual knowledge of his own. But he wanted to know uh, in... In your and the traditions that you're familiar with, uh, as far as curses go, uh, you know what what do you consider curses? Do you think that it's mind over matter, or do you think something else is actually going on? Um, in, in my in my tradition or my experience, curses are generally uh, the result of how do I put this? Spiritual conflict, and and I, I don't say this lightly. Spiritual conflict in the sense of, uh, like okay, I have an ancestor who, um, my great great grandmother said that once a year she will make an offering to. XYZ, who's some spirit name. Um, and she makes his offering every week until she dies. Now, implicit in this offering that she, or uh, implicit in this offering was that, was that we, meaning her and her family and her kids, would always serve this spirit if it helps this household, if it saves their daughter from whatever. So they made this pact and they have vowed to feed it. Every week. She passes at some point, and somehow throughout the generations, kids forget it. Stuff goes on. Stuff moves. And now I'm born. I come into this world, and I'm a result of my ancestors. So anything my ancestor called on me, I'm still obliged to do. So I don't mm. have this problem, but now I'm crossed up. And a lot of what um, during our initiations, we had to go through, we had to bring out, we had to, to make sure we were appeased, were old spirits that are acting like they're cursing on us, because it's a, a familial curse, you would call it. But it's not really a familial curse. It's because we made a promise and we didn't keep it, or we haven't, we haven't been able to keep it. We lost it, whatever the case is. That creates right. That creates a spiritual conflict. And we do that all throughout our lives too. We will say, "Dude, if you just let me get this job, I'll, 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 I'll start doing whatever." And then we don't, we forget about that thing that we were supposed to do, and we don't follow through. Right, and then we end up crossing our own selves. Now, a magician or a good witch can also call you out on that. Uh, 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 can call you out on something that you're doing, and and point the conflict out in you. And therefore, they're causing the curse on you or they're calling the curse on you. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So you have something pre-existing, like a pre-existing condition, and a, a witch can use that against you. Exactly. Or, or, or in your very action, whatever that action is, they recognize how, how you are crossing yourself in that very instant and they call it. They're like, you will be cursed for years because you're burning me at the stake right now. Right. And and they're calling on that particular little bit where you've crossed yourself and turning it into a snowball. So you, you end up casting the spell on yourself. Yes. 
So that's going to be interesting to Lopaco because, you know, I've been talking to him and, and uh, in Hawaiian culture, uh, there there are curses that he was telling me about. So it seems to me you're on the side of, you know, there is something real to that. It's not just uh, some what somebody believes. There is definitely something real to, to curses. Correct. Okay. And then uh, one more question uh, from uh, our friends at Hawaii Paracon. So Fred, Fred Fogarty is a friend of ours and uh, he, he is uh, from Edinburgh, Scotland. And he had a question uh, because he's very into altered states and uh, hypnosis. And he was wondering about, you know, when, when uh, the loa uh, mount uh, someone, um, is, is it, you know, how would you describe that? Is that a trance state? Uh, can hypnosis or something like that make you more susceptible to uh, these spirits? Or, you know, what kind of relationship do you think uh, these trance states have with hypnosis or, or other altered states? Uh the the reason why I use transpossessionary is because yes, they they are this they are very they they are synonymous synonymous or, or close to synonymous. Um, the the initial state at which the spirits gain possession is in the trance state. So you can call a trance state without being possessed but you can't be possessed or at least in our tradition without achieving some kind of trance state okay and so if you're in a trance state or you're under hypnosis does that make you more susceptible to spirits yeah just like it makes you more susceptible to to your unconscious mind and to to delving into your unconscious by the way I am a certified hypnotherapist. I, I'm a trainer in hypno, uh, in NLP, and I've gotten my certification in hypnotherapy. So I, I understand this language. And the, the truth of the matter is that it opens up your unconscious. You are more prone to, to be precognitive to, to all of your psychic powers, as well as to all of the spirit world, to everything on that side you're more open to in a trance state. Well, it sounds like I need to be hypnotized more often. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much, Lavelle, for uh, coming to talk to us. Uh, you are a font of knowledge, and, you know, it's just you, your knowledge runs so deep. And it, it, I think it's so um, going to be so uh, new to, to our listeners that, you know, we'll definitely have to have you on again and explore uh, some of these topics in more depth. I would love that. Yes, very much. Thank you again, and um, I'll be coming to the store to bug you very, very soon. I, I can't wait, and thank you guys all, and thank your listeners, too. This week's song takes its inspiration from the death curse aspect of voodoo that's been so sensationalized over the years. The idea that even if there's nothing wrong with you, you can die because you believe in the curse. It's a phenomenon called voodoo death, after a paper written in the 1940s by sociologist William Cannon. This song is based on one of the coolest spells in Dungeons and Dragons, and it's inspired by black magic. According to the D&D wiki, you utter a single word of power that instantly kills one creature of your choice, whether that creature can hear the word or not. Chuck Palahniuk uses the same idea in his novel Lullaby as well. 
In this case, it's a single word that can have an extraordinarily deleterious effect on those who believe in it. And that word is no. Wendy, what's the name of this song? Power Word Kill. to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh my goodness. We have so many people to thank. There's so many great things going on here. And uh, we'd like to start off by thanking our friend Ned. That's right. Dr. Ned is on the Patreon level where he gets a shout out in every single episode. Ned, Thanks, Ned. We love you in the grossest way possible, but we love all of our <laughs> Patreon people in the grossest <laughs> way possible. So if you guys are interested in being part of the community, uh, please check it out. Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. We're going to have another meetup this month and we have a whole bunch of cool things planned for our Patreons in 2018. Probably we'll start with a conversation about this episode on the Patreon page. So that's the place to go to. And we want you guys to join the community. And we want to talk to you guys and meet you in person and uh, get to know you a little better, maybe even biblically. And you do that Ooh. at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. I want to be, I want to mount your loa. Yeah, you, you got it okay, right. Okay, can I stop the recording? <laughs> oh, yes. yes.
Wait, what? No, oh. you can't. <laughs> okay, can I stop the recording now? Now you can. Okay, here we go.